Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello and welcome back. Happy New Year. Holy cow. I cannot believe that it is 2021. This is, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Xenon on Disney when you were growing up. And I have no idea what year they were living in. I think it might have been around this time though. So if you know, let me know. But it feels really surreal. And at the same time, it feels it feels normal, but not normal. And a lot of a lot of different thoughts and feelings coming up for me. And I'm curious if you're having the same experience as well too. That being said, I, I'm so freaking stoked to be with you riding into this new year. We've got an awesome show today. Such a juicy conversation with my guest, Simi Bodich. And I couldn't think of a better conversation to start this new year with. Um, we talked all about the fear of weight gain, body image healing, exercise, our relationship with our body, our relationship with food, perfectionism, motherhood, thin privilege, so many things in this conversation. And I, I am just very, very grateful that Simi took some time to come in and speak with us today. So I can't wait for you to get to know her, fall in love with her. And the reason why I'm so excited to release this conversation right now is because of diet culture and what we're up against coming into the new year. And it's all around us. It's, it's so insidious. It's so predatory. It's so sneaky. It is, it, it's just swimming around us when we walk into stores and in our conversations with friends and family on social media, in the gyms that we go to, if, if your gym is open, just so many places that it pops up and in a very normal way as well too. And that just pisses me off and gets me fired up to share this message and share some other options for you to heal your relationship with food and your body image and feel awesome in your skin without comparison, without living your life by shoulds, without high expectations that are just completely wrecking havoc on you mentally or emotionally and physically as well too. So all that to say, I love this conversation because Simi really breaks all of this down and paints a new path for us to be able to incorporate philosophies, tools, tips, techniques, and just mindset shifts as it relates to food and body image. So super fired up for you to hear this. Let me tell you a little bit about Simi before we dive in. Simi is a certified holistic health coach. She's also an intuitive eating counselor, a doula in training, and the author of Letting Go of Leo, How I Broke Up with Perfection, a memoir about overcoming her decade-long struggle with feeling like she wasn't enough. She's also a bar instructor and the founder of Unmeasured, which is a virtual monthly bar membership that celebrates your body through movement. 
Through her work, she helps women all over the world ditch perfection and heal their relationships with food and body image so that they can begin to embrace their beautifully imperfect lives. We talk about her book in this conversation, but I will just say from the top, if you're looking for something to read stepping into this new year, it's one of my favorite books um, that that I've read in the past 10 years. Absolutely. She's, she's such a great writer. She really explains things in a very practical way. And it's a memoir, like we just mentioned. So it's really Simi's story about her relationship with food and her body. And when I was reading it, I just felt like I was talking to a friend and really feel heard and understood. And she's just super authentic and transparent and full of so much fire and truth. And as, as a mother, as a wife, as an entrepreneur, as a empowered woman doing this work in fighting against diet culture and really choosing to put messages out for women to give them alternatives for feeling awesome in their skin, especially in her new fitness membership that she's created in Unmeasured, which we will totally link to in the show notes. She's she's just doing such incredible work. I can't wait for you to hear more. Let's just get right into it. Everything's going to be linked in the show notes. I hope you have an awesome start to your year. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Simi Bodich. Simi Bodich, hello, love. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This has been on my heart for such a long time. And I know that we met in person a few years ago. And since then, it's just been so beautiful watching you grow as a a woman and a business owner and just all of the things that you're contributing in the intuitive eating space and and just the the fitness space now. And and I can't wait to talk to you about all of it. So I I'm really excited to have this conversation. Me too. It's been so wonderful to grow together and now to get to to come back and have this chat years mm. after we first met. So cool. So let's just jump in. And the first question that we always start with is your first body awareness moment. So can you just start here? What did that look like for you? That moment where you realized, hey, I'm in a body and this means something in the world that I'm living in, good, bad, indifferent. What did that look like and how did it shape your body image and your relationship with food? Yes. Well, that first moment was all about my thighs. I It was elementary school and my uniform had these plaid shorts and I was wearing them and got some chafing between my thighs from, from the shorts. So I came home and had this rash between my legs, between my thighs from them rubbing up against the shorts. And my mom gave me a cold, wet washcloth and helped me to deal with the discomfort of it. And I went back to school the next day and saw one of my friends who was wearing the same shorts that I had on because they were a uniform. So many of us wore them. And I just wanted to give her a heads up that like, Hey, those can like really, they can really rub your inner thighs. Like you can get a, you can get a rash from that. And she looked at me and said it in a way where I don't think it was intended to hurt my feelings or to be cutting or negative at all, but just that, you know, her thighs were smaller than mine. And so that wasn't going to happen to her. And it was this moment of awareness that our bodies aren't all the same and they don't all look the same. 
and that my body by virtue of being larger than hers was less than or not as good or was causing me pain where her body, because it was smaller, wasn't doing that. And that was really the first moment of awareness that the size of my body meant anything or that it made me different from someone else or that the first moment of awareness that there may be this hierarchy of bodies, which then of course was reinforced many times through the messaging that we receive through society and through people in our lives. And that was really the moment where I internalized this this message of my body would be better if it were smaller. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you are sharing this story because it, it really, it, it really sounds like it impacted you in a different way and that it was physical and that it was causing you physical discomfort, which is something that we can talk about as, as we get into more of your story and how it's evolved. But that's so interesting to, <laughs> to have that experience of just wanting to share and just wanting to help someone else and then being made aware that there is some hierarchy with bodies and, and sizes and shapes and all of these things. So how did that impact your relationship with your body? Did you try to fix, fix it at that point? What, what was the next step that you took? For the next handful of years, it was more of an internal discomfort about my body and a lot of comparison. Mm-hmm. So I started to really notice how my body wasn't as small as other people either that I went to school with or that I went to camp with. And I definitely had this feeling of not being as pretty as girls who were in smaller bodies and feeling very uncomfortable about my body. And all of this was also wrapped up in the idea that I was not someone who really liked sports, enjoyed sports, was naturally good at sports. And I started to notice that some of my friends who were more into sports, enjoyed them, had fun with them, were naturally good at them or more athletic, that they many of them had smaller bodies than I did. And so started to really make these connections with movement to body size and felt that my body was not as good as theirs and wanted my body to look more like theirs. And I didn't do anything to actively change my body at that time. So I wasn't engaging in any behaviors intended to change my body, but there was a lot of fantasy about living in a different body Mm. and I would take markers and draw on my body like where I wish, like, oh, I wish this part wasn't here or I wish I didn't have this or I would draw like a smaller leg on my leg and wish that that was my leg. And so there was a lot of that, a lot of that imagining my body differently and hoping and wishing that my body would look differently. Mm. The behaviors to try to manipulate my body and change my body didn't start until um, more like late middle school time. And that's when I would start to try to do different diets that I read about in magazines or would try to 
you know, be part of the sports teams thinking that even though I don't like this, and even though I'm not really naturally good at this or talented at this, that, you know, this is something that I should be doing. And so that's really when I started to try to manipulate my body using food and exercise. And those were off again, on again, behaviors that I engaged in through high school college and law school, which is when it, um, which is when it got to the most intense and restrictive. And it was after law school that I finally started to get support and really heal what had essentially been decades of feeling like I wasn't enough. And throughout all of this, I mean, it was definitely, there were body thoughts. There were a lot of thoughts about my body, but it wasn't just about my body. To me, it felt like I wasn't enough as a person. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy. And so it it went so much, it was so much more than just being, you know, like skin deep, which I think so many people experience as well. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most frustrating parts about having a complicated relationship with food and body image is it's it's almost never about food and our bodies um, and living in a culture that doesn't really identify it in that capacity can, can feel like we're swimming upstream so much of the time when we're in the struggle. And where do you feel like that came from that, that feeling of not being enough? When do you feel like you actually were able to make that connection that that was essentially the root cause of all of the the food and body image struggles and and what did you do when you kind of had that light bulb moment i was not able to make that connection until probably about a year into what i consider to be my healing journey like with myself with food with body image with movement all of that it wasn't until about a year in when I finally had the mental bandwidth to even grasp a concept like that because there was so much food, exercise, body obsession that was happening in my mind, so much worry about what other people thought of me, so much plotting and planning and people pleasing going on mm-hmm. that it took a really long time of working to actively release, reframe, rewire those thoughts and that thought process, those thought processes to be able to have the mental bandwidth to be like, whoa, this is like a really deep thing that is going on. And this is a deep rooted feeling of not being enough. And that is where this stems from. And it's never been about my body. Although of course, diet culture would have us believe that society's messages would have us believe that you know, fat phobia would have us believe that, but it's never been about my body. It's always been about something deeper, but I had to work on a lot of those, you know, the food rules and the rigidity and the exercise obsession. I had to work backwards from there to be able to get to the deeper part. Yeah. And sometimes that is the easiest point of entry to to just start where we are right here right now and then work backwards and to your point in your story this is also why it takes so long and why 
why it's so scary to do this work sometimes. Did you, did you experience any of those fear-based emotions when you were starting to get into just the unpacking and, and peeling back the layers? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. There was so much fear at the beginning and so much of my life I had basically made my body the scapegoat. It was like, well, if my body looked different, everything else would be better. If my body looked different, like everything else would be okay. Mm. My life would be so much easier. Everybody would accept me and love me. Like it was, it really had become the the reason why in my mind I believed anything was not perfect in my life. And so there, and all of this to say, like, I think it's important to note that I have always lived in a body that's been socially acceptable. I've experienced thin privilege my entire life. And so all of this was very internalized rather than actually experiencing, um, experiencing pushback from society in general. But I, I was so afraid of what would happen if I let go of of the control, what would happen to my body. And because that is what I had believed was like the root of all my problems for so long, it was very scary to think about not trying to be actively controlling that Mm. anymore. Um, And that was terrifying. But the reason why I finally got support and got help is because of the restrictive behaviors that I had been engaging in. I had started binging and binging very, very frequently and intensely as a result of the restriction. And to me, the binges, like in the beginning, I was like, the binges are the problem. I need help with the binges because it wasn't this super controlled way of eating. And then it was through that work that I realized, oh, actually the problem is the restriction and that's what's causing this behavior. And everything that you've been blaming on your body your whole life is just like, that's what you have to deal with. You have to deal with the reality that nothing is perfect and you are not perfect. And what does it look like to accept that and to embrace that and to embody that and to love yourself through the challenges and the mistakes and the hard moments rather than holding up this fantasy in your mind that if you could just get to a certain weight on the scale, that all of this would magically disappear. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. And I also would love to talk about restriction. I, I just wrote some content around this and I'd be curious to hear how how it showed up for you in, in your personal experience and also just how you feel about this now. But I think that figuring out that restriction is one of the core parts of the equation for healing binge eating and just healing our relationship with food. Like when, when we're able to make that connection, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is a huge light bulb moment. Right. Did you experience that? Yes, that was such a huge light bulb moment. But for me, it took a while to get to the place of being able to have that light bulb moment because I had held restrictive behavior up on a pedestal for so long and had also been very encouraged in my restrictive behavior. When I was very restrictive and very rigid, 
I was told all the time how healthy I was and how people wish that they could be as healthy as I was. And it, I got a lot of praise for those behaviors. And they were behaviors that I had worked to master for so many years of my life that it was really hard for me to be able to see those behaviors as the issue. And it took me a long time to be able to get to the place where I could really see that and reframe that and realize that enough to have the light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is what's going on here. Yeah. This exactly what you're saying is is the content that I was writing the other day. It's this sneaky restriction. It's the reinforced behaviors that are praised through healthy eating, through, um, you know, staying on track and being good and, and ordering, you know, a, a certain, a certain thing off the menu or, or whatever. And I think that from what you're sharing, it's, it, it comes in phases, like the light bulb moment. It's, that understanding of, okay, I need to eat more because eating more is, you know, not eating enough is causing the binges, but then it's healing our relationship with food around the restriction. And that, for me, that was the scariest part, you know, letting go of the control around the restriction that I didn't even think was restrictive. I just thought it was healthy eating because it was my identity. And it, it sounds like it was similar for you as well too, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yes, definitely. And, and it was my, it was my safety. It made me feel, it made me feel safe. Mm -hmm. It made me feel okay when I had checked all of the boxes and followed all of the rules and stayed within all of the guidelines. And that was really scary to let go of. Yeah that control it's it's so sneaky and it's also it's so understandable as well too i i'm curious when you started to really heal and and get to a place where you could take a look at life and previous experiences in a different way what were some of the biggest aha moments for you what what outside of food do you feel like didn't feel safe or didn't feel like you had control over that you can kind of look back in hindsight and, and understand why you were using food to, to cope in those situations or the restrictive behavior? I think a really big thing is just when I look back on relationships and realize how much I was trying to control another person's perception of me from trying to say the perfect thing, trying to like always be there, always show up, never let anyone down, always be like who I thought that they like wanted or needed me to be so that they would have no reason to reject me or leave me or not like me or not love me or whatever it might be. Just this very it's like, it really is such manipulative behavior, although it wasn't coming from a place of trying to be manipulative or vindictive. It was coming from this, <laughs> this deep human desire to be accepted and to be loved. Um, and yet showed up in a very manipulative, controlling way because of fear of rejection and what that rejection would mean about me and my worth and my enoughness. And having spent essentially my whole life trying to 
control the outcomes of situations rather than trying to build up the skills of caring for myself when situations did not go the way that I had hoped that they would. Yeah. Perfection. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This is a beautiful definition of perfection. One that I am extremely familiar with. I I don't know how you define yourself now. I consider myself a recovering perfectionist, a recovering people pleaser because it still shows up for me. And um, I'm curious, how do you, how would you define yourself now? Do you feel like it's something that's completely healed? And if it's not, when do you notice it come up and how do you quiet it or, or just, you know, give yourself support in those moments of perfectionist tendencies? I, it's so interesting because just thinking through like, how would I define myself right now? I guess I would just say like, I'm, I'm just like a human trying to figure out like how to, how to navigate, like how to navigate being alive in this world. And yes, the, the urge to people please sometimes shows up the urge to like not make someone else uncomfortable. I think that's, that's a big way that it can still show up right now where it's like, Oh, you don't want to make this person uncomfortable. You don't want to inconvenience this person. Mm. And I can feel, I I will feel like those urges to people, please, um, to people, please in that way. And then definitely um, in parenting and parenthood, I can feel it coming up. I I have felt it come up and dealt with this, you know, in therapy since becoming a mom, but that children are their own beings and they are their own people and they are figuring things out and expressing themselves and learning how to navigate the world in their own way. And there have been moments in motherhood where I will see my kid do something and I will feel myself panicked about like their rejection or panicked that someone is going to judge them or not like them. And that is so an extension of my own, of my own like inner wounds, right. That I am projecting onto them. And so very thankful for therapy. And I do feel like one gift of motherhood has been that it has allowed me to go deeper into places that I didn't know, I didn't know still existed, you know, but like has brought them to the surface. It's brought them to the surface and really been this opportunity to, to heal those things on deeper levels. But I feel like those are the ways that I really see this stuff coming up for me in the present moment in time is it can come up in, in parenting and it can just come up in those moments where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to make this person feel uncomfortable or inconvenienced. And I can find myself um, defaulting back into people pleasing behaviors and needing to just catch that and take a breath and, you know, reframe it and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what you said earlier, it really is a skill and that's a part of the the work in healing our relationships with food and our bodies and and all of these things. It's not just a a few sessions in a therapist's office. It it really is unlearning and relearning and building new skills as we come up against these these wounds and like these deeper 
parts of ourselves that are going to show up for the rest of life because we are human and how we can support ourselves in those moments. I think it's so interesting that, that you're acknowledging this in motherhood. I don't have kids as you know, but I, I've thought before that if I were to really see this show up, I'm sure it would be being a mom and just not having control over so many things and, and you know, emotional control specifically, like you were saying, like, what if they don't like them or what if they're doing this or that? And just having that grace and compassion for yourself and for your child too. Um, one thing that I, <laughs> the one thing that I remember specifically about you, Simi, that I just love, and it's always been in my mind. I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but the first time that we met, it was at the Good Fest. Our um, yes, yeah, it, in back in Philly. This was years ago, but you had just had Osh, who is your baby, and he's how old is, is he? Four now. He's four now. Yes. Oh. That was my first, that was my first, uh, like weekend away from him. That was the first time I, that I ever like oh, went away. Um, I remember that. I, that's so funny. I remember that now. I remember us having that conversation and I remember sitting with you and at the time I was health coaching, but I was in a really disordered place with food and I was actively binging secretly and, you know, at full transparency. I actually remember binging on that swag bag that we got on the train home mm -hmm. afterwards. So it's just it's so crazy to think about our, our lived experience with things. But I remember sitting with you and thinking, wow, your energy is so peaceful and so secure and so grounding. And I remember you sharing with me about your body image in that moment after having a baby. And you were just so transparent. And I remember you saying, I, I looked in the mirror recently and I thought like, interesting, like my thighs are bigger. I remember you saying thighs and you said, I, my thighs are bigger after having a baby. But the way that I look at them now is, oh my gosh, like they carry this body that allows me to have this baby and like my, my, my child. And also looking at your baby's legs and thinking like, oh my gosh, like they're so cute and chubby and just want to like squeeze them and cuddle them and everything. And just looking at our bodies so lovingly and so compassionately. And, um, it always stood out to me and it, it was one of the entry points into just beginning to understand that this is so much more than food. This is so much more than our bodies. And even just getting a glimpse in having a more loving, compassionate relationship with our bodies that you just displayed so effortlessly in that moment. So I have to, I have to give you so much credit for just sharing that with me. Thank you so much for, for sharing that memory. I love thinking back to us sitting in those like fold out chairs in that room. That was such a wonderful, such a wonderful moment. Mm. It was. I'm also curious in your, in your personal story and healing your relationship with food and body image, something that I'm, that I'm always just interested in is hearing about what came first. Um, you know, I, know, I think for a lot of people, it is healing our relationships with food before we dig into the deeper body image work. And tradition, traditionally speaking, this is how I approach it with a lot of my clients and how I approached it with my own healing. But what did it look like for you? What was, what was the first step and, and how did it eventually become full circle for you? 
I think for me, the food and body image work came a little bit hand in hand only because I had so many fears about my body changing when I released control over food that those two things were getting worked on at the same time. It was like I would, I would push back a little bit against the food rules and the rigidity and would be met with a lot of like body image stuff and then would have to deal with that and then would push back a little bit more and then would have to deal with the body image stuff. And so that was a little bit of a, you know, a back and forth or a little bit of a dance between those two. And then the movement stuff came, came after the food stuff. So I worked on food with body stuff at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then it was after a period of time of that, that I, when I started to feel a little bit more normal around food and not so freaked out about food and a little bit more relaxed in my body that I started working on the, the movement piece. Yeah. What did that look like for you? Were, were you, what was your relationship with, with movement at the time and how did that evolve? I mean, I was completely obsessed with exercise. I was over-exercising. I was incredibly terrified to miss a workout, um, was pushing my body so hard, totally out of touch with what my body needed, um, was terrified of rest. It's, I mean, even my definition of rest then it was still, it was doing exercise, just less intense exercise. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was completely obsessed with it and, and rigid and extreme with movement at that time. So how did you come to that place where you realized that it was time to look at that part of your life and what were some of the emotions that came up for you and some of the first steps that you, that you took to really address this part of your healing process with your body? For me, running is a way that I became very um, obsessive and extreme with movement. I do not think that running is like that everybody who runs is obsessive or extreme. I don't mean that at all, but just for me personally, my relationship, that's how it showed up. And so I first started to try to reduce the amount of running that I was doing but it became very clear that I needed just like a full stop from that and to take a break from running so that I could get clear on, do I actually even like this? Do I enjoy this? Mm. And to try out some different forms of movement and also to really have some seriously intentional rest time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was during that time that I was able to get my period back again. I had lost my period Mm. and, um, it was also during that time that I started, that I tried a different form of movement that I'd never tried before, uh, bar, and like ultimately just fell in love with it and its gentleness. And so for me, it, it ended up needing to be a really full break from the form of exercise that I had been abusing my body with for so long to be able to get the clarity and the distance from the experience to do the healing. And 
my identity was so wrapped up in running. And for me, that was like an interesting thing because I had, like I had shared before, you know, very unathletic, like not, not good at sports. Like it was kind of a joke that I wasn't great at sports. And so for the first time in my life, when I'd really, when I really started to get into running, it was the first time in my life that I experienced any kind of like encouragement or praise around movement and running became such a big part of my identity that that felt really scary to let go of. I was worried about what other people were going to think, which is so interesting because I think at the end of the day, what I realize is nobody really thinks much about like what you, you know, most of the time, like what you do or don't do. But when I was in that place, you know, like the whole world was revolving around me. And so I imagined everybody was going to think all these things about me and <laughs> like, who would I be without it? And I mean, then of course there were the body image fears that, you know, showed up for me with food and then again showed up for me with movement, which was again, like, how will my body change? Will I be able to handle that? Um, Mm -hmm. What will it mean? Will people reject me? All of those things. So I was simultaneously again, working through the movement with the body image together. Um, And that, but that break was so necessary and essential. And now, I mean, I will run to like chase after my kids or like go on the occasional, maybe like annual jog with my sister. But mm-hmm. it's been so interesting because I actually discovered that I don't really like, I mean, I don't like running in a way where I would be consistently running. Um, and it was it ultimately ended up being very liberating to discover my own preferences and also to know that those preferences are allowed to change. So while right now I might not be someone who like laces up my sneakers to go for a run, like if in a couple years that changes, that's, that's okay. I'm no longer like how I move is no longer who I am. And Mm. that means that there's so much room for flexibility and change and personal preference and personal need and, you know, lifestyle and all of that. Like, I feel like my life no longer revolves around movement, which it did for a number of years there. I can so relate to everything that you're sharing and also just the experience of, making that connection with how I move is no longer who I am and what I eat is no longer who I am. And, and just giving ourselves permission to have that. It's, it's so beautiful to hear you express that in your part of your story. One thing, Simi, that you keep mentioning that I, I would love to just talk to you a little bit more about, because I think this is a fear that at its core is, is pretty common for most people who struggle with food and body image issues. And it's really this idea of how will my body change? Like if I, if I let go, if I stop doing the things, if I, if I just give myself permission to relax or not be so rigid, that fear of how my body will change. And we're kind of talking about the elephant in the room, like weight gain and mm-hmm. will people reject me? So I would love to hear your perspective on, on this, this fear of gaining weight where, and maybe we can talk about where this even comes from. First of all, um, man, we could really unpack this. <laughs> this could be totally. quite the conversation, but yeah, where does the fear of gaining weight even come from? Um, and what did that look like for you? And, and also just the rejection 
fear that you're expressing as well too. Absolutely. So, I mean, we have a fear of gaining weight because we live in a fat phobic society. And so many of us, most people have internalized fat phobia in some way or another. And for, you know, in my journey, I had to unpack that fat phobia, like directed towards myself, right? Like that internalized fat phobia. And that really looks like taking a step back. Number one, understanding the society that we live in, understanding like who benefits from us Mm -hmm. internalizing this fat phobia, you know, where did it come from? Like, what is it rooted in it? And then really starting to separate out, like, is that even what I, is that what I believe or just what I've absorbed, like from these external messages? It also looks like saying, what am I making gaining weight mean about me? And Mm -hmm. is that, is that really what it means or is there a reframe available there? Are there other things that it could mean? It looks like understanding, acknowledging and accepting that body diversity is real and that we're not all meant to look the same way and that the body ideal that is held up, you know, in front of us in our society is not the reality for the vast majority of people and really like really grappling with that and understanding and accepting that understanding where if my worth is not tied to how small I can make my body where does my worth come from yeah and that's one of those things where that is that is like deep internal value driven work that I think is essential on this journey it's like where do you believe that your value and your worth comes from as a human being because we are going to have to remind ourselves of that a lot of times living in this society when someone else comes in and tries to tell you that it comes from the way that your body looks. Also separating out the fantasy and the reality. Like what is the fantasy of having a smaller body and what is the reality of trying to achieve that? And then going back to what I shared before, like this fantasy that having a smaller body means that everything in my life is going to be perfect. Like it's not it's not going to be perfect. And then I think, you know, like the big thing, which was not, which was not part of my early healing process, but now was part of my work, which is recognizing like, oh my gosh, if our bodies are not the problem and the cultural narrative about bodies is the problem, then why are we spending so much time trying to change our bodies versus trying to change the cultural narrative and our society? And really getting to what the problem actually is and trying to fix that because like my body is not the problem. Your body is not the problem. Nobody listening to this, like none of our bodies are the problem. It is this cultural narrative about our bodies. It is the diet culture. It is the fat phobia. And that's now that's what I'm like. I want to work to change that both you know, helping the women who I work with change that inner narrative and their own personal experience, but then also helping to change like the cultural narrative at large. And I think it takes a lot. I mean, it's going to take a lot of us to do that, but I do think that these messages are becoming louder and louder and, and more prominent and that more people are hearing them and starting to, to understand them. And so those are kind of, 
I feel like all of the, you know, like the levels and the layers to that. And of course, like none of that happens overnight and really like none of that is ever done. That's all like ongoing, mm-hmm. ongoing work and ongoing healing both personally, but also collectively. Absolutely. And this is collectively, yes. And this is also where I get so excited with clients who use this as a, an opportunity to just get mad and to understand that this actually has nothing to do with us. Of course, we have our own personal personal work to do around body image, but it really is attributed to the culture that we're in, the diet culture that we're in, the systems of oppression, the messaging, the, uh, the subconscious messages that we're receiving through the magazines, through the Instagram feeds, through just, you know, I read so many fiction books and I'll hear things, I'll see things in the fiction books. And obviously my, my radar is pretty acute to that type of language now, but it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't even watch, I mean, I can't even like watch a TV show anymore without being like, oh, like, look at this fat phobia. Like, it's just, yeah. I mean, it really is everywhere. Like, look at this, like, look at the way like diet culture is like so sneaky in here. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, so interesting or like it, it really is so ingrained in, in our society that I think it happens without us even realizing it. Absolutely. And I think that the more we can have conversations about this, where we're educating each other and really coming together and using our voices to have that common ground and understanding that, hey, this is a shift that we need to make in our culture. And this is actually something that we can feel empowered around versus defeated by and and start to do something about it and, and redirect our energy and our negative thinking towards our bodies into the culture that's making us feel this way. Absolutely. So in terms of, in terms of doing the work around just addressing the fear of gaining weight, when when you were doing your own work and now the work that you do with clients, if anybody is listening to this and just thinking, I'm scared to touch this with a 10 foot pole. Like I'm just terrified of any thoughts around gaining weight and, and just being in this moment of fear and also the confliction and knowing that there is some work to be done around their relationship with food and body image what's the first step that you could offer for somebody to take or maybe the first couple of steps? Sure. I think there's a lot of great places to start here. I think the first thing is really being honest with yourself about the messages that you are choosing to listen to, the images that you're choosing to consume, all of the stuff that you are actively intentionally choosing to internalize like you and I just said like diet culture is very prevalent it is everywhere we are all going to come in contact with it whether we want to or not it's just a reality of living in this society and still there are many many messages that we are actively choosing to internalize and consume that we can equally as actively choose to opt out of and so I think one great place to start is just to really look at the choices that you're making in terms of what you are, what you are consuming from 
you know, social media accounts, newsletters that you're subscribed to, magazines that you read, websites that you go to, books that you're reading, whatever it might be, are those messages, are those images contributing to the narrative that your body is a problem and needs to be fixed or needs to look a specific way for you to be enough? Or are those messages and images encouraging you that not all bodies are meant to look the same. Body diversity is real. You can trust your body. Your body is full of wisdom. You, your body, you know, your body is trustworthy. You deserve to connect with your body. You're not, your body is not a problem to be fixed. So really looking at that. And if it's the former, if you're like, oh, I'm taking in a lot of messages that are that are making it really hard for me to trust my body or to practice body acceptance um, or to feel okay living in my body, then I think there's a huge opportunity as you start out to start to minimize or eliminate those messages that you're intentionally consuming and add in the messages that are really encouraging that body trust and body connection and reminding you that your body is not a problem. So I think that that is huge Mm -hmm. um, and very, very valuable. Um, And so that can be super powerful in the beginning when we're talking about overcoming fears of body changes is just first to create an environment around yourself where your body changing is not like the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. Absolutely. And, and really just building in that structure and that support. And the, the cool thing is to, you know, we, we keep kind of going back to this idea of control and using food as a way to control things that feel out of control in our lives. And this is a really beautiful way to exercise healthy control. You have complete, we have complete control over the content that we're consuming uh, to a certain extent, to a large extent. And so in terms of actually meeting that need of healthy control, this is a, an awesome way to be able to do that and, and to really get creative with the messages that you're seeing. And also you know, I love everything you're saying so much. And I think it's really exciting when we start to do this work intentionally because we feel like that control is being met. We're actively doing things to create an environment that's supportive for us. And it's also almost like a game at first. I don't know if you felt this way at all, but I I talk about this a lot with my clients and I felt this way too, where you're kind of playing detective in your life when you're hyper aware of it. and, And that's kind of exciting when you start to notice, oh my gosh, kind of what we were talking about before, like it's everywhere. And, and how, how can I be intentional about just noticing it when it shows up and, and using that information to my advantage rather than letting it be cart, become a part of my identity in an unhealthy way. Absolutely. I really felt like it was like taking blinders off. I was like, I feel like I've been living with these blinders on like that were keeping me, keeping my focus like so, so narrow. And then I took them off and all of a sudden it was like, there was the, you know, oh my gosh, I have like peripheral vision. Like I can see Mm -hmm. all of this stuff that I couldn't see. My vision was like so narrowed before. Mm -hmm. And then you are opened up to so many like new messages and voices and it felt so much more empowering. And I, I also think for anyone who's struggling with feeling out of control, 
that something that really helped me and something that I try to remind clients is that when we're restricting or actively trying to control our bodies, life feels very much like we're either in control or out of control, in control Mm. or out of control. It's like riding this roller coaster. And I like to think about this intuitive eating movement, body image work as stepping off of that ride and saying like, rather than being in control and out of control, I'm going to be intentionally practicing connection Mm. with myself. And so really being able to say like, it's not about, it's no longer about me needing to feel in control or being completely out of control, but I have this opportunity to practice this new skill set, which is connection. And for me, that was so helpful, especially as someone who struggled with all or nothing thinking a lot in during the time when I was when I was trying to change my body and when I was restricting and over exercising. Yeah, I love that, Simi. That's so beautiful, and it's also such a an amazing way to just do the work around building trust with our bodies. And I actually was just talking about this the other day, but it, you know, trust in our bodies, it, trusting our bodies is so deeply important for this work. And I love, I love the word and the concept of connection because it's just so important. And it's also so amazing when we give ourselves the opportunity to heal in this way and really trust our bodies, because I'm curious if this happened for you, but I I see this with clients a lot. This happened for myself too, but you start to trust people differently. Your relationships change, your, you know, your trust in, in different experiences and situations change because you have that connection and, and that deep sense of security and knowingness in in yourself. And, you know, it sounds kind of dramatic, but it, it's life-changing. It really, it changes your life when you have, when you have the connection that you're speaking about. So did, did you feel like that happened for you as well too? Yes, it really was truly is like so life-changing. And I think that it's because through all this work, you know, you're really developing those skills of being able to show up for yourself. And so then you can go into all of these situations and feel so, so much more present with yourself. It's such a game changer. It is. And it also, this actually ties in beautifully to the second point that we were initially starting to talk about what happens if my body changes and will people reject me? Well, to your point, when we have this deep rooted trust, when we have this this sense of purpose walking into situations when these values are established in ourselves and we have this new sense of self-awareness, the fear of rejection, it just starts to dissipate slowly. And there's so much unlearning with that. But is there anything else that you would say about the, the fear of rejection and how that just begins to subside once this work is, is really implemented around body image? Sure. I think for me, like the thing that I've really had to come to terms with and make peace with is that people may reject me. People Mm -hmm. may reject you and you cannot control your way out of that experience. Like we are all going to experience rejection. And 
there is no amount of controlling anything, not your body, not what you say, like nothing that is going to insulate you from that experience. But we can choose whether or not we reject ourselves. Like that is the, that is the piece where it's like, somebody may reject you. That is not going to feel good. And it is very painful when that happens, whether it's small, like a small rejection or a large rejection, and you're allowed to feel all of the feelings that come up for that. But you don't have to abandon yourself in that moment. You can choose to show up for yourself, to care for yourself through that, to love yourself through that rejection. And so while we can't control whether other people will accept us or reject us, you know, from now until the end of time, we can choose to be in connection with ourselves, regardless of how other people do or do not choose to accept us. Yes, absolutely. I also think that this is just coming to mind as, as we're talking about rejection. I'd be curious about your opinion about the, relationship of therapy and coaching when somebody is going through this experience because you know one of the things that i i went through and notice a lot is these wounds run really deep when it comes to rejection and very often they've they've just been things that we've learned or experienced and um have held on to for so long and so working with a therapist and somebody who can really help heal the past trauma around those feelings of rejection and scarcity and and just being able to do the work around that as well as working with a coach who can move you forward and and give you solutions to to healing and and taking the next steps out of it and and continuing to really heal in a powerful way i that was a a big compliment for me are what are your thoughts on that? I also found them to be very complimentary and I, I am so thankful for therapy and I'm so thankful for coaching. And for me, I think therapy has been and continues to be so helpful in working through those themes that seem to show up in, you know, every situation, right? Like the people pleasing, the anxiety, the not feeling enough, like those things that are recurring and really working on those, those deep rooted stories and, and continuing themes and coaching has been so powerful to really like hone in and focus on, um, a specific area, a specific thing and to have really directed, like thoughtful action steps forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've found that to be true, like in my relationship with myself, in my business, and that that therapy is something that has been supportive, has been supportive throughout with those themes that are recurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both, obviously. I know we both are. Um, there's just, there's, so much to be said for, for both therapy and coaching. And, and also like, I also just want to share that it's not accessible for everybody either. And there, you know, for anybody who's listening, who, who feels like working with a coach or a therapy is out of budget, or it's only for a certain type of person, there is always a way there's 
always a way. Um, and that's one of the things that I love so much about the direction of both of these industries is, you know, whether it's working in a group or working, um, you know, on, on a different platform or app or different type of payment plan with either a coach or a therapist. It really is just the intention in deciding this is what I want to do. This is the step that I want to take and that I know I need to do for myself and, and doing the work to navigate and finding the resources that are going to meet you where you're at, at whatever stage of your relationship with food and body and also financially speaking as well too. There are always options. Yes, I'm, I am so glad that it's becoming more of a conversation that everybody deserves support and mm-hmm. not everybody has access to support. And so how is that? Like, how are we going to bring those two things so that they're in alignment so that everybody who needs support can get it? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan as well, too. Um, let's talk about your, your business a bit and what you're doing now and Unmeasured, which is the movement part of your business, which is so exciting. And I'm, I just love everything about it. So can you just tell us about the work that you do now from a holistic point of view and, and how you support your clients and also what Unmeasured is and, and how this came to be? Definitely. So Unmeasured is a virtual monthly bar membership that is all about celebrating our bodies. I fell in love with bar during my healing journey. I went to a studio in German Village, which is where I live in Columbus, Ohio, called Studio B Wellness and just had the most incredible experience there. It was such a place of healing and cultivating a more like a stronger sense of self-trust and self-connection and ultimately became an instructor there. And it was a very, one of those experiences in life where I'm like, that was such a life-giving experience Mm -hmm. and feels like there was something magic that was happening there, something so meant to be. Um, And the studio closed down about two years ago. And I, after the studio closed down, I you know, was, I was missing, I was missing bars so much. I was missing that experience so much, but I also was simultaneously coaching all of these private clients who were talking about how they wanted to have a more joyful, intuitive movement relationship with movement. But often like if they were in a class or if they were at a studio or if they were at a gym, they were hearing messages that were very rooted in diet culture. And it was making it hard for them to not fall back into old patterns, to not feel triggered, mm-hmm. or also just to have an enjoyable experience where the whole time they were like, can you please like stop telling me about how I need to like burn off my brunch? Like this mm-hmm. is not helpful at all. I do not need to be hearing this. Yeah. Um, and so I had an idea to create a virtual bar studio that would make um, this form of movement that I just love so much super accessible financially from like a logistics perspective, all of that, um, as well as create it in a way where it would be completely free of the BS of diet culture and people could just come and feel encouraged to connect with their bodies, to honor their bodies, to practice self-compassion, 
to celebrate their bodies exactly as we are today. Mm-hmm. And that's when the idea for Unmeasured, Unmeasured was born. And I got to share it with the world in February. And it's been absolutely incredible just getting to getting to share it these, um, this, you know, this last year, it's been wonderful. So cool. I, I love the mission. I love the intention behind this. I, I don't think that we have nearly enough of these types of things. And, you know, this is also such a full circle moment in our conversation and a beautiful example of where fat phobia diet culture is hanging out. It is so deeply entrenched in our fitness classes, in, in these forms of movement that, that we love and, and that we go to for community and, and because we love moving our bodies in certain ways. But yes, there, we hear it all the time, you know, burning off of your brunch or work harder or commenting on bodies sometimes in, in classes. And it just becomes so normalized that having having an opportunity to be in a space like the one that you've created where it is just neutral and accepting of all bodies and not focused on on food or any type of restriction is it's so cool Simi I'm so glad that you created something like this um and I I cannot wait to share this with everyone. I mean, I already have shared it with so many, but it is, it's just, I'm really grateful for you and for giving this to us because it's so important. Oh my gosh, Caitlin, thank you so much. I'm so, I'm so grateful to you and for your encouragement and support of it. So thank you. Yeah. So where, where can everybody sign up for it? We'll link everything in the show notes, but give, give us the down and dirty. So if somebody is listening to this and thinking, Ooh, this is exactly like what I want, kind of paint the picture. What can they expect if they were to sign up for unmeasured and how do they do that? Absolutely. So a virtual monthly bar membership, it's $25 a month and you can stay as long as you like. When you join, you get access to a virtual library. And what's inside of the virtual library is first a section that is all tutorials on form and modifications, or as we like to call them, an unmeasured options so that your body can feel really safe and supported. So a lot of the moves, position sequences that we see throughout many of the bar classes are in there. Um, There is a section for pregnancy and postpartum, just a space for you to get more information so you feel really empowered. Then there is a section um, for classes that are completely devoted to stretching. So if you're like, I feel like moving, but really like I am looking just to like stretch my body, that would feel so good. There's three 25-minute classes that are completely devoted to stretching. So you can pop into one of those at any time. And then there are the um, the class, the 10 class library. So there's five classes that are 20 to 25 minutes long. And then there's five classes that are 40 to 45 minutes long. And every week, the oldest two classes, so the oldest 25 minute class and the oldest 45 minute class disappear. And a new class is added every single week. So you get a new 20 to 25 minute class and a new 40 to 45 minute class every week. But the class library never gets bigger than 10 classes because I always want 
want it to feel like you have options and that there's new fresh content without it feeling overwhelming. And then you um, have access to the curated playlist that I make for you guys. I make a new playlist every single month. And then the other thing is that I host pop-up live classes that are done via Zoom for the membership. So you will get an email letting you know to save the date for our next live class. And then for every one of the live classes, I also um, make a special playlist for that. And those are totally optional. They don't um, they don't take the place of any of the classes in the virtual library. So you can choose to opt in or out of the live classes, but they're a really fun way for us to connect as a community. Simi, this is amazing. This is so cool. Can, is there an app that people download or do they just go to the website and, and log on there? Yep. They just go to the website. It's unmeasured.simibodich.com or you can hang out with us on Instagram. It's at movement unmeasured on Instagram. If you want to kind of get the lay of the land, there's some, um, there's some like mini little mini, like five minute classes on IGTV there. There's a 15 minute clip of like one of the classes. We've got lots of like FAQs on there. You can read some client, um, some member, testimonials and shares and stuff. So that's a great, that's a great place to start is on the Instagram. If you're like, I'm curious, I want to hear a little bit more. That's an awesome spot. This is amazing. And you know, one final thought, I don't want to open a, a, an entirely new can of worms in this conversation with this, but I do think is it, it's so cool that you are creating this because, you know, we've touched on these deeper wounds that are living in our body that are very often related to trauma and, and little trauma. And as humans, we all experience trauma. And one of the best ways that we can address trauma is through movement because trauma is stored in the body. And so if you combine healing our relationship with food, body image work, movement, I mean, it is just such a beautiful way to heal mind, body, soul, and just have a life that is really, really fun and exciting and joyful. So uh, this is awesome. I, I cannot wait to try it myself. I haven't done it yet. I've (laughs) I have shared it with a lot of people and I haven't jumped in myself. So I cannot wait. And I am so grateful that you are sharing it with us and that you also just took some time to come in and share your truth on the show today. And you're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Mm. Talk to you soon, love. Take care. Bye. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest. If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.